0: Welcome to our third podcast, The Dory to BIM, brought to you by the opening studio team at Asa Abloy. We're focused on the ever-expanding topic of building information modeling and how you can improve your workflow and professional experience through digital technologies. For today's podcast, we'll be talking about how remote teams can leverage digital resources for troubleshooting and support. My name is Aaron Desmond, and with me today is a globally representative panel from Asa Abloy. Everyone wants and needs access to information now more than ever. But how do you manage that? The people with me today are responsible for training and supporting a myriad of software solutions, including Opening Studio. So thanks so much for joining our podcast. Let's get started with introductions.
1: Well, hello, Aaron and everyone else out there. Uh, my name is Brian Cornwell. I am the BIM Technologies Manager for Asa Abloy Openings Opening Solutions in the Pacific region. Um, my title as BIM Technologies Manager really means that I aid in the deployment and support of our opening studio software throughout uh, Australia and New Zealand. This includes internal support with our internal teams, of course, involving training and uh, you know, marketing material available for them. Also includes, includes support for our external clientele, which includes architects, builders, facility managers, security consultants, and so on.
2: My name is Porten Daniel Kinell, and I'm the uh, BIM development manager for Asa Abloy Opening Solutions EMEA. So uh, my responsibilities is training and supporting our uh, internal teams throughout um, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So mostly focusing about internal uh, support and training.
3: Hi Aaron, hi everyone, this is Melissa Menya and I've been with Asa ABLOY for almost two years and I work in the US in Phoenix with the opening studio development team. I am the BIM education and community manager which means I work with creating educational material and support for opening studio users Including managing our knowledge base, our BIM community discussion page, online training materials, and I also work with the technical
0: support team who provide personal support for opening studio users across the globe. Awesome, thanks so much for joining us so let's chat about support and knowledge sharing. How has training and customer support changed in the last ten
1: years That's a good question aaron um, i i I think that It's gone more the way of online and, of course, recently now more than ever. Uh, So there's a lot less face-to-face training. Uh, The technology certainly makes it easier to do so. It's been more reliable over the years. Uh, Support, in terms of support, I guess customer expectations have changed. Uh, Once someone finds something better and easier or an easier way of doing something, that's what people expect. And we need to be at the forefront of that. So that's kind of where the the point of our software began uh, to be at the forefront of you know BIM uh, forefront of a solution for door openings and now with our support content our and our support team we better match that uh, which is of course where our our knowledge base our FAQ sections and so on come in with with our uh, recent support.
2: Yeah, I, I have to uh, have to agree with uh, with Brian there, especially on the. Um i think i think uh, it has moved from a more um, classroom kind of uh support where either you have like an an, and and a typical well you have a typical classroom setting where you where you train people uh and then now moving into more of a well Gradually moved into webinars now moving into shorter sections of of training and, 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 you know, being able to provide that online content for people to browse, uh, and easily get access to the things that they want to learn. Uh, in regards to, uh, in regards to, um, training, you know, your in-house customers, such as, you know, your, your core teams and these type of things, um, it depends a bit if you're if you're trying to learn them a software or if you're trying to learn them a, soft, um, a workflow so if you're trying to implement a workflow that involves technology in some cases or in many cases i find it useful to still be able to uh, understand who you're training so it it, it uh, the um, the online support will will uh will help to a certain extent but uh but still still you will have that, uh, you will need that kind of knowledge of who you're training still.
3: I would have to agree. This is one of the reasons why um, I try to work so closely with Brian and, and Morton and others across ASA Abloy to understand the needs of the people they're trying to train and the And the users since they have that um, interpersonal contact with them and I believe that helps me with the online support and the knowledge base content to make it more pertinent to what our users would need.
0: So what do you think makes for a good virtual support or
3: help desk? Because of the work we do globally we have a lot of systems already in place Uh, that will work very well for this, the knowledge base being the basis of that, where you really have a 24 hour support system and ability to reach um, technical support at your fingertips any time of day, no matter where you are, since we do cross time zones and geographical divisions. And in addition, sometimes you do need a little bit more than just what can be offered in a knowledge base. So we also provide personal support where you can initiate that contact um, directly online as well.
1: I would say along with that you know you can try to put everything on a site that that you want but there's always going to be a certain element to human content and human interaction. Um, So at some point you may need an accessible staff you know support staff and uh, so I think not just the online content, but you also need the staff to support it and those that staff needs to be knowledgeable and you you need to develop clear expectations as well for both the support staff and the knowledge base you know something that's measurable so that you can actually measure your your support and the content that you're providing
2: when you're finding yourself searching for um, uh, searching to learn something uh, today um, the first thing you do is try to try to find that that information online, uh, and then. But when you when you get to kind of a hurdle on that, or if you need further explanation, that's when that's when the uh, professional uh, professional support and the human contact come in and play. So um, so yeah, definitely having having that combination, I think, is still really important.
0: I was going to say, you know, how has support really changed in the last month? Have you seen kind of a shift in the way that we approach our both internal and external uh, clients?
1: I guess I'll answer that. I would say that definitely um, we're we're seeing or hearing all the time about alternatives now uh, to, to support, uh, you know, different resources besides maybe Skype. You know, something like Zoom, Slack, GoToMeeting, uh, so that a lot more of those resources requiring more reliable technology the biggest thing i'd say is working from home uh, you can't just turn around and ask a colleague and rely on their knowledge and experience Uh, so you and and a lot of what you see or hear right now is you know you have to call or look at a website or you know if you make a call to support they'll show you or tell you that they're experiencing longer than usual wait times And no one wants that. Uh, So you need you do need 24 seven support somehow. You need to essentially provide a knowledge base or or a support resource that can try to fix their needs right now, because that's kind of the society we live in is a right now society. So that's that's what I think we need to support right now.
0: Yeah, we're definitely all feeling that that. I guess need to be able to turn around and say hello to somebody or, or get some more input or feedback. And um, you know, Morton, Melissa, what do you think? Is there a shift in the way that you see
2: things? You have two separate types of learning. You have the the learning that is you know a setup of of skills that you learn through kind of a an online session or that you um, you know you Google uh, and you find out uh, stuff that you need to do. I mean. Uh, uh that's one of them and then it's it's the internal uh, learning and the knowledge sharing that you're doing within the company which brian is referring to also is you know the, the the need to turn around and say how do i do this again or do you have a good tip or trick on doing this which you're used to do if you're working in an office you're used to do that you know with your colleagues while now you have to um find other ways to do that. I think uh I think some of the um some of we're getting more computer savvy when it comes to uh the online technology that we're using so the especially the communication channels that we're using we're using it to a larger extent uh these last few months than we've done before. So just being able to turn to a colleague virtually and ask them a question is probably I see more questions coming in through Skype or, or these type of channels uh, than I did before. Uh, another thing that I see on internal trainings is that I used to have, you know, we used to travel for initial trainings on on uh on starting up a software or starting up a workflow. And I I've done some trials and errors on, on that now when I'm rolling out. Uh, First of all, I find that longer sessions of of training online is tough for people uh you know you can go on for like an hour or two and then you oh yeah, even though you don't you know speak to them, you can just feel their brain melting on uh, you know <laughs> while you're you're just talking and talking and talking, and at a certain stage you it gets more and more silent, and you talk to this internet void of uh <laughs> so so what i uh, you know one of the things that i did uh, which i found uh, which i got good feedback on also is that i cut it up to shorter sessions throughout you know um several days instead of pile, trying to pile the into to that one you know one you know a one day session of of training which it used to be when you traveled you know you but uh, it doesn't work that good online so so yes, I, I definitely feel that it's been a change these last few months on on regards to how you do that training.
1: Martin, if I, if I can ask you a question there, do you find that to be more beneficial being able to provide shorter increments? Do you think it's led to, uh, I guess, more proficient or quicker learning?
2: Uh, in in some cases, yes. In other cases, I find it tougher. Um. It depends a bit, like uh, the the people that have had the the uh, the initial training so that, you know, they're familiar with the software or the workflow that you're trying to convey to them. So so it's not an overall training of the software, it's more about uh, looking into the bits and pieces that they they need to train on. In those cases, I actually find the online training to work quite well. So, so you can set up so- shorter sessions to kind of pinpoint the actual issue that you're looking into. Uh, if you're talking to people that you don't know, and it's the first time they were introduced to the software, I still believe you know, meeting face-to-face and getting that um, you know, person-to-person, that human contact, <laughs> if you like, uh, way of training uh, is, is more efficient. So they they get a more overall introduction to the software. Uh, that I find being easier when you meet people face to face. But the the um, the short fresh ups or the pinpointed training is is more efficient online. That that's at least my experience at the moment. How, how do you find that? Do you have do you have any any experience on that? Now I I know that you know in in your. In your area do you have more people that are you know you're past the rollout stage of of certain things so so do you find that it's it's more efficient to kind of um sharpen the training or i don't know the the u.s lingo for this but
1: (laughs) yeah actually i would completely agree i completely agree with everything you said uh it's it is it does provide for i guess better more efficient maybe better quality training if you will but yeah there is something a little lost in that face-to-face interaction um so yeah i i really do believe i i think we're experiencing the same things over here that yeah it's it we're we're efficient we're able to provide good training that way but yeah there's still that face-to-face that we that we lose out on i, I would also add that from a uh, this may not relate as much to support, but I think we're actually seeing better interaction between the teams and management uh, because we can't see each other face-to-face every day. It's very interesting to see the dynamic there that uh, you know, managers are hosting more meetings because uh, obviously we're in different locations now. Uh, so it's it's actually promoting, I think, better communication and collaboration within teams because we're seeing, you know, weekly or daily meetings to just understand what everyone's working on or going through right now, Um, keeping people accountable, seeing what their needs are. So I think it's been very good from that respect.
3: I guess all I would um, ask of both of you, I think this is an interesting time to figure out um, as as you all know, we've been working on an initiative to do some online interactive training videos to supplement the training that you all do um, in person. And at least in my mind initially, I was thinking maybe they would be exposed to the videos first and then meet with you in person so they have some familiarity. Um, but maybe maybe it would work the other way around, given what you're finding that if if they haven't had any Um, introduction to it before maybe they do need that more intensive first or it would just be an interesting to see what you find as we move through this process now
1: I was was just going to say I I think it always depends on what capabilities you have at the time you know if if I can meet face to face with someone which hopefully we'll get there soon uh, then I think it's it's definitely a good opportunity to to obviously introduce yourself and and your role and why you're um, tasked with leading that responsibility, leading them in training and support, but also then to maybe dive a little deeper. However, I will say that the content that you're putting together right now, those videos do offer a really good explanation of the program, the software, why we do what we do. Um, You know, there's something to be said for, obviously, we have really good content in our knowledge base. Uh, it's very easy to navigate and search, but with videos, obviously you can add, I guess, more of that human factor. You hear a voice, but you also hear explanations and reasoning behind whatever task you're trying to show at the time. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question. I th- I, I see there's benefits to, to both ways, and I think it just depends on what you can do at the time. Are you able to meet face-to-face? Uh, you know, I work in a I guess a large region, Australia is a fairly large country, and I travel to New Zealand. If I can't meet with, say, a new hire immediately, I'd absolutely put them onto the, to the knowledge base until we can have a face-to-face meeting or talk via you know, Skype or something like that. If I can meet them first, then we'll take that approach. But eventually, I would put them back onto the knowledge base for further training.
0: So actually, I want to step back just a, a quick second. Can you, maybe for the audience that's not quite aware of what a knowledge base is, can you go into a little bit more detail about what, I guess, an, a knowledge base would be and then how we use a knowledge base um, for software solutions such as Opening Studio?
3: Yes. Um I think traditionally people are used to going to a website, and although more and more we're finding software that does also have a knowledge base, but going to like an FAQ, a frequently answered question page. But that's really not sufficient. I mean, it it's helpful, and I think it has a place, but it has a place in a repository of knowledge Um that is accessible and is consistent, especially in a large corporation like ASA Abloy. We have information coming from all the divisions that were kept in various different documents and locales. And it would be really difficult for someone, uh, you know, in Australia to find something someone wrote up in the Americas where they might have. Um, place that so i think part of what a knowledge base does is bring all of that information together in a manageable and easily searchable environment that can be accessed 24 7 not only by external users who are people using or possibly even for the first time it allows people to hop on the knowledge base and whether you're you know an ex, your expertise is internal but you want to find out some kind of information that would some kind of institutional inst- information you can find there, you can find training resources there, or an easy way to answer questions for your your own customers um, and direct them to where they can find it on the knowledge base and find that more readily than waiting for a return email or phone call. Yeah,
2: yeah I think you're – yeah, I think you're right, Melissa. When it comes, to, especially when it comes to that, you know, we have an audience. And we're getting a growing audience of people that are, uh, they want and expect to have, you know, um, information uh, quite quick. So, so having that, you know, having the possibility to to be able to search for that information and getting it quite quick is is very good.
1: No, I would say the same thing. Uh, right now, you know. We expect Google to answer everything, right? That's yeah. If we have a question, we're going to rely on Google, and we depend on that now, I think, more than human interaction, especially with the younger generations. Uh, so, you know, they want to search for answers online before contacting anyone else. Uh, so I'd say with, with the knowledge base, or if we look at Opening Studio, for example, we consider our software to be simple to use, but it's very uh, – very robust and offers many different features. So we need an area where our users can go to understand how to navigate that program. You know, if the software is supposed to be easy to use, we should provide the ability to train and allow people to find answers, which is you know what yeah. that knowledge base is for.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 like if you look at it, like you look at Excel at the moment, right? You see, you have the basis of Excel, which is really you know you can do you know the easy things in there but at a certain point you come to a stage where you're trying to do stuff and you don't know exactly how to now do you order a classroom training to learn that excel you know feature no you don't right you go you google it because there's thousands of people that just loves to tell you how you can do tricks in excel and 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 I guess this is you know by the knowledge base here, we're, we're trying to replicate how, how that can be done, right? So, um, if, if people are using our software and they use it within, you know, the certain basic user frame, it, it's quite okay. And then, you know, you want to do something more over here, but you're not exactly, you don't exactly know how to, right? Then, then at that point, I think it's perfect to have that, you know, knowledge base. You can search for how do I do this and that, and then you'll get some kind of quick answer on doing that. And if you have more questions, then you contact your, you know, your support and everything.
0: You mentioned the um, <laughs> that there's a lot of people who like to give you tips and tricks on, you know, certain features and functions of software. I mean, do you think that there's a component of community fostering that happens, uh, for different software? Um, do you think that a knowledge base is, you know, a a place for that or how do communities fit within, you know, the support structure that, um, we find for software?
2: In this time and age, people are asking their peers for, uh, for um, support and and needs more than, more than necessarily the expert because you're, you know, there's a lot of people uh, publishing uh, information.
0: Yeah. I see that a lot on social media, especially when I look at our, you know, the audience that we, you know, interact with, I mean, they're definitely, you know, helping each other out. It's very much a, a embraced community spirit and, you know, Melissa, Brian, do you have any other thoughts?
3: I was just going to kind of bring up um, one of the things that we do have been working on cultivating um, is a community page. It's called our BIM Club community page, and it really allows all the different users to come on with ideas and ask each other, you know, maybe somebody in EMEA or where Morton is has already dealt with an issue that Brian might have in Australia. And it allows us to cross pollinate that information and then take that information and use it as content for the knowledge base as well. So these things all um, have kind of a symbiotic relationship where one feeds the other.
1: I mean, if I, I guess if I think of a community, you know, I think of sharing of ideas and common interests or experiences Resources, you know, communities are geared towards that, towards sharing, mentoring, um, you know, improvement, advancement, things of that nature. So I I think when Melissa, as you talk towards a a BIM club and tying that around, again, a knowledge base, a resource of sharing information, uh, yeah, I think that's exactly what the idea of those things are trying to promote a community.
3: And I think once people get information from a community page, then they they like to share what they know as well. So it kind of draws people in to using the software and and, uh, getting more out of the software that way.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think that's what's key is when you – if you do have a good knowledge base or a community such as as the BIM Club, uh, that goes a long way in promoting your offering, your product offering, or in our case, our software offering. Uh, you know, if you, if you don't have a, a solid area where you can go to get these answers, it could actually deter people from wanting to use your product. So I think the two go hand in hand.
0: Do you see any drawback to the technology? I read a lot of articles right now, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of data to mine through uh, in the coming years about uh, remote working and, and how people are using technology for training um, and support now. But um you know, do you see any downfalls with all the different solutions that are available now? Maybe some thoughts on that.
2: So, uh, but I think, you know, um, you know, as, as you search online, you might get, uh, you know, not the best workflow or not the best information or it might not be correct. On the other hand, I think uh, the generations that are growing up these days, they're more conscious about the... Um, they're more used to and conscious about the information that they're they're getting, so they're more cross checking references and making sure that they have you know the latest ones so I don't see it as a big problem, but I see it as a you know potential uh, potential issue,
0: yeah, I can say you know having gone through tech support documentation in a myriad of places and trying to cross-reference, like, what's the best solution? What's the easiest solution? Am I overcomplicating things? You know, I think probably one of the biggest frustrations I see is, like, there's too many different sources, um, especially when it's community-driven. So, having that one place to go, you know, and then being able to move on beyond there, if it doesn't quite answer the question, is always helpful. But, um, maybe a drawback for me is to see like, how much information is out there. How about yourself, Brian, Melissa? Well, I think uh, the knowledge base
3: is, I'm not saying it's the solution to that, but it, it, it does tackle that issue where you have a myriad of different solutions within even an organization, not even talking about what's available on the web. Um, and some of that information is dated. And if you have various different groups globally putting out different information that's available online and one is dated and they might be, so someone searching could pull up, um, you know, an older software version uh, information. If if you know you're going to the knowledge base and that is going to be the most current information you can get on how to do a process. And it it is going to show you the most current version of the software with the release notes and, um, any other information you might need that kind of helps vet out some misinformation.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I don't have too much to add. I uh, I agree with both of those comments. Uh, I guess maybe just just two things. One of which would be the face to face. Maybe not so much for support. I think support. Um, you know, we're used to being in, in a society where we can research something online or contact someone over the phone rather than face to face. Um, but I'd, I'd say in terms of face-to-face training, I think uh, there's still something to be said for that, uh, being in a room with the individuals as you're trying to train and support that way. Uh, and then I guess just to piggyback off the previous comments, I'd say uh, going back to, I guess, there, you need to ensure you do have consistency or uniformity, especially across a global platform such as Opening Studio. You you need that that uniformity or consistency uh, with, with, you know, we have new releases every few months. uh, So trying to update not just the program, but the resources we provide to access, you know, the training and support around it needs to be uh, thought about on a global scale.
3: I'll just add that um, I think that's why something like a knowledge base and some of these other resources can help trainers as well. So they can find answers, and it can be a supplement to their in-person training.
1: Yeah, good, really good point, Melissa. Um, I actually think, uh, at least the way that we've created our knowledge base, is it's a great resource for our teams as well. Uh, so you know that knowledge base isn't just built for. Know internal users, it's built for our external users as well. So, uh, what I guess what I mean by that is it's not just an opportunity just for the trainers, either. It's an opportunity for our teams just to, to say to their clients, hey, uh, if, if you want answers, if you have questions, have needs, go to the knowledge base. Um, so, it provides a, a good resource, not just for what we consider our support people, our support team, but also for our users.
0: I couldn't agree more. You've got to be focused on the users. Okay. Well, I think we're running out of time, but before we go, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the road ahead and what the future holds. Brian, do you have any thoughts?
1: Uh, it's scary. It's I think it's a hard question to answer because you know, you you, you see sci-fi movies and uh, you know, everyone kind of has their own predictions as to where artificial intelligence is is going to go. I think I'll go back to the same message as long as you can find a way to keep it consistent uh, then I could see it being of a, a big benefit, and the world is only going to want answers faster and faster, yeah. and I think artificial intelligence will provide that
3: yeah I would agree with that, Brian. I think that a well developed AI or chat bot could really help users search through the wealth of information that's available on a knowledge base or on online in general Um, and that can be time-saving and allow for that personal contact uh, for more complex issues to be handled in person by technical support teams or consultants or um, direct customer relations, so I I don't think one should replace the other, but I also think a chatbot that's too simplistic can be frustrating rather than helpful. I don't know about you all, but I hate getting on there, and I'm asking a question, and I get a response
0: that makes no sense. Yeah,
1: and (laughs) then you end up yelling at a robot.
0: (laughs) Or those ones a little, (laughs) they pop up, and they just won't leave you alone. How can I help? How can I help? I I want to find the answer myself. Leave me alone. (laughs) You're not helping me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that concludes our our podcast for today. I really want to say thank you so much for joining us, and I will uh, look forward to catching up with you on the next one.
3: Thanks, Aaron.
2: Thanks, Aaron.